Does it count? Does it count? I could sense the anxiety in the woman's voice. It was my first year after seminary. I had recently graduated. I was in my first call. And one of my roles at the church was to teach confirmation class. This was a Monday night, and I was receiving this somewhat frantic phone call from a confirmation student's mom. You see, the previous day was Sunday, and a snowstorm had canceled all the services, including confirmation. So she was calling me Monday night saying, does it still count? My son would have come to confirmation class, but the snowstorm, we need that to count. And so I explained to her, I said, oh, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, we'll cover the material next week and he'll be fine. And she said, well, that's just the thing. He has a hockey tournament next week, so he won't be at confirmation next week either. So we need yesterday's class to count. So I said, would you mind putting your son on the phone? So she handed the phone to him, and I said, hey, bud, uh, I remember a couple weeks ago in class, you had this beautiful description of what happened on the cross when we were studying the crucifixion. Can you tell that to me again? And he said, yes, pastor, when Jesus died on the cross, he took all my sins, all the consequences of my sins and that's why he died on the cross, and he gave me, in exchange, forgiveness and grace. And I said, that's exactly right. I said, that's what counts. Have a great hockey tournament. We'll see you next time. I tell you that story because there's something in all of us, actually, that's a lot like that confirmation mom. We want to know, for some reason, which of our good deeds count. We want to know if God is paying attention to our obedience, to our righteousness. Because for some reason, which we're going to explore today, we want our righteousness to count towards salvation, when in fact, salvation is something that we receive, not achieve. And there's only one thing that counts. Let's look at the scripture to find out more about that and our reaction to it. Galatians 3, verses 1 and 2. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you as before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's another example, like we've seen a couple of times in this series, when the Apostle Paul has planted a church and then moved on to another region and then gotten word of the previous church that they had gone astray, they had gone adrift from what he had taught them. Paul is reminding them, he's reminding the congregation in Galatia what he had told them. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What's Paul talking about there? Was Jesus crucified in Galatia? Did they see it with their physical eyes? No. Were any of these Galatian Christians in Jerusalem the day Jesus died? Did they see him die there? No. What's he talking about? It was before your eyes, he says, that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. He's talking about the preaching of the gospel. That's it. Paul had been in Galatia. He had preached the gospel. He had publicly portrayed 
Jesus Christ as crucified. He had explained to them, like that confirmation student explained to me on the phone, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying the penalty of our sin, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness, his forgiveness, his grace. That's the public portrayal of Jesus Christ crucified. Paul's reminding the church in Galatia, they had seen that, they had beheld that with the eyes of their hearts. And then he asks them this question in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing, by hearing the gospel, by accepting what happened on the cross as your own? In other words, Paul is saying to us, this is something that you cannot earn. The truth of the gospel, the gift of God's grace, does not depend on our attendance to confirmation class or our faithfulness or our good deeds, or our righteousness at all. None of those things actually count when it comes to salvation. One thing counts. Did you receive the Spirit, he asks. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And a lot of churches around the world will be preaching from the text of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit lands on the believer's in the gift of the Holy Spirit from the triune God, we are studying this passage because we are staying in alignment with our youth and with our children. They're studying this passage today, but I kind of like it because it reminds us that the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just a once-a-year event, but the Holy Spirit can come any day of the week, any day of the year, especially when the gospel is proclaimed, when it's publicly portrayed. You know that feeling? When you're sitting in a church service and you have that, that behold moment when you remember what happened on the cross. I love that moment. I got to experience it last week. One of my favorite things about being a pastor at this church is that on those weeks when I'm not preaching, I get to hear the gospel preached by our other associate pastors. Last week, I sat in my lawn chair right over here, and Pastor David stood here, and he preached, and he reminded us about halfway through his sermon of what happened on the cross, that Jesus Christ was beaten, he was flogged, he was mocked, he was given a mock trial, and he was placed upon the cross, and he bled, and he died for us. He endured that suffering for us. I experienced that last week, and I felt the Holy Spirit like this breeze coming through the trees right now. I felt the Holy Spirit wash over my being as I had a behold moment with the cross. It's like space and time collapsed, and I was there at the foot of the cross. I love that. That's the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost Sunday. Every day we proclaim the gospel. When it's proclaimed and received, it's the gift that keeps giving over and over and over again. But you see, what happens is we can hear that on Sunday, and then we can drift on Monday. It's what happened to these Galatians, verse 3. Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, Paul knows what happens to us. He knows that we can have that behold moment on Sunday. We can sit here in our lawn chairs or in the pews, and we can have the Holy Spirit wash over us, and we can behold Jesus on the cross, and we say, thank you for that forgiveness and grace that you give to me from the cross. And then we rise up on Monday morning, and we, some of us have this tendency to go back trying to earn it from God. We go back to what we call legalism, where we try to impress God with our faithfulness, with our righteousness, instead of simply remaining impressed with his. We hear the gospel on Sunday, and we go into legalism on Monday. 
Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, personally, I'd like to think that I do that because I just want to be so faithful. I just want to be so obedient. I'm just such a good person that I just can't help obeying God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'd like to think that's why I go back to legalism. But in reality, I think it's not quite so impressive. I think instead it's more because I like getting rewarded for my achievements. I kind of like that. It might be because I'm from the Midwest and I understand that hard work pays off. When I was a kid, I had a paper route. And I learned what it was like to work hard every day to put those newspapers on the stoops of all my neighbors and then to get paid some meager amount some weeks later. After that, I, uh, before I even got my driver's license, I was a, a dishwasher at the diner down the street from our house. I worked almost literally finger to the bone on that dishwasher for minimum wage. I think at the time it was $4.15 an hour. This is the early 90s. After I worked in that diner, I worked at the local motorhome dealership, washing and detailing used motorhomes to put them out on the lot so they could be sold. I got a paycheck for that. I learned what it was like to show up every day after school and on Saturdays and work for that paycheck, and I got to put gas in the car that I bought on my own. After the motorhome dealership job, I worked at the coal-burning power plant in our town. I shoveled coal dust for minimum wage. Did you know that, David? I did manual labor. Are you impressed? I don't have muscles like his, but I shoveled coal dust for a meager paycheck, and I loved getting that paycheck. Maybe it's the Midwest in me. Maybe it's the Protestant work ethic in me. I appreciate getting rewarded, getting merited for my hard work. It's what we call meritocracy. You've heard this word before, right? Meritocracy is great. I want this in my life. I want it for my kids. My son, Riley, he's only 13, and he's learning what it's like to earn a paycheck. He goes down the street and pulls a lady's weeds out of her garden, and he does that back-breaking work, and he earns cash from her. I want this for my children. I want this for our economy. Meritocracy is good for our economy. But here's the thing. Here's what we learned from Galatians chapter 3. If you apply meritocracy to your spirituality, you've done something very foolish. Foolish is just the word that Paul, Paul is using here. He uses it twice. Oh, foolish Galatians. And then in verse 3, are you so foolish? What's Paul talking about? When we slip from hearing the gospel on Monday to le on Sunday to legalism on Monday, trying to accomplish our own righteousness towards salvation, we've actually done something foolish. It works great for our economy. It's a great way to raise kids, but it's foolish to apply it to our spirituality. Why? Because the only work that counts for salvation is something we can't do for ourselves. It's been done for us, and it's given to us by the Spirit. It's been done for us by Jesus, and it's been given to us by the Spirit. Listen to what Paul cites in his argument here. In verse 6, he hearkens back all the way to Abraham. People were saying, we got to follow the law of Moses, the law of Moses. we got to be obedient. We'll get blessed if we're obedient. And look what Paul says to that in verse 6. Abraham 
believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. See that language? It was counted. The righteousness of God was counted to Abraham. All he had to do was have faith. And it was counted to him as righteousness. What did Abraham have faith in exactly? Amazingly, he had faith in the same thing that you and I have faith in. Abraham was way before Jesus, but look what he was looking forward to in verses 7 and 8. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then all those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, Abraham had faith in the coming Messiah. He had faith that one day God would do the work that counted for salvation. And Abraham looked forward to Jesus on the cross. He didn't know that, but that's what he was looking forward to. And we look back towards the cross. And we know that what happened there, the finished work of Jesus Christ, is counted to us as righteousness. The theological word that we use for this action is imputation. Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe this is new for you. Let me explain it. Imputation. We understand often as Christians the imputation that happens on the cross that we know that our sins, the consequences of our sins go upon Jesus on the cross. He dies in our place. But there's a double amputation, imputation that happens on the cross that our sins go upon him, but his righteousness comes upon us. It counts to us as righteousness. His work is finished on the cross. This is why Paul says it would be foolish for us to try to earn our salvation. It would be like when I was 13 years old and I had that paper route. If somebody had already completed the paper route one morning, if all the newspapers were on all the stoops of all my neighbor's houses, wouldn't it be foolish for me to go find a new batch of newspapers, to bundle them up, to put them on my bicycle, and to go place a second newspaper on everyone's stoop? That's foolish. In the same way, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work for our salvation is finished. The paper route's complete. So we don't need to go work for it again. That'd be foolish. That'd be stupid. Instead, we say, thank you. That my sins were imputed onto you and your righteousness is imputed onto me. It's double imputation. That's what counts. That's the deal. It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It's the gospel. So Abraham is looking forward to what he doesn't even know what is coming, but he knows that the righteousness he needs is going to come from God. And we look back towards what happened on the cross, knowing that what happened there is what counts. So there's really only one way for me to end this sermon before we go to communion. And that's that I want us right here, right now, to behold in our mind's eye what happened on the cross. What Paul said in verse one, publicly portraying Christ crucified. Take a moment, recall it. Come Holy Spirit, it's Pentecost Sunday. Fill us 
Open our hearts, open our minds. Were you there when they crucified our Lord? Can you see him? He's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's been mocked, he's been spit upon, he's been stripped. He's been cast aside, he's been hung upon a cross. There are nails in his hands and in his feet. A crown of thorns on his brow and blood is flowing. He's writhing in pain. He's calling out. He's crying. What is he doing there? He's finishing the work for your salvation and mine. He's receiving through imputation our sins. And he is distributing, he is giving through imputation his grace, his forgiveness. Can you receive it today? Amen.